1979 is the year we began the church. That same year, now, when we started the church, uh, of course, we were renting buildings and things like that. But in 1979, we lived in Poplarville, Mississippi, uh, living with her father and mother at the farm there. And uh, we would travel to Homa on the weekends. And we would have service on Saturday night and Sunday morning. But a couple of days before Halloween that year, 1979, uh, Vicki and I were at home there in Pomperville. We had an unusual call, I guess one of the most unusual calls we've ever gotten. It was from the pastor of the local church there in Pomperville that we had attended uh, and supported uh, when we first moved there, and we had remained good friends with the pastor. Uh, we actually taught a Bible study there in the city of Pomperville for a time, and he called me up and said, Brother Nay said, I need help. I said, I have a young lady here in my home. She's come from another city, and we need help. And I said, okay, what can I do? And he said, well, you need to come to my house. We can't talk about this on the phone. I said, okay. So Vicki and I went to the house. Didn't live very far away. Uh, so we sat down, and there was an 18-year-old girl that was there. And you could see she was visibly upset. She was afraid. Um, and she began to explain her story. She came from another city. And somehow she ended up, I don't know exactly how, but she ended up there with that pastor in that home. And she began to explain how she joined a satanic uh, group several years back and she had gotten heavily involved in Satan worship and she said several years ago that they had started a practice of sacrificing a young girl on Halloween night each year uh, and she went along with it but the problem was this was her year and she says I don't want to die I don't want to be killed. I still got my whole life ahead of me. And when this was affecting other people, I didn't have a problem with it. But now that it's going to affect me, uh, I, I don't want this. And she said, would you help me? And, I, you know, I was 30 years old, not real mature in the Lord at that point. I, I, we had just started the church here. Uh, and I said, would you say that again? And I said, kill as in real kill? You know, real sacrifice? And she said, yes. So we just began to pray with her. I began to explain to her that our greatest protection is a spiritual protection. That first she needed to be born again. We talked about being born again, uh, being covered by the blood of Jesus. And she was visibly just shaking all over i could tell she was so frightened and we began to explain to her salvation and covering by the blood of jesus and she quickly she said well i need that i want that right now i need to be born again right now so we prayed for her uh, to be born again we anointed with oil spoke to the fear in her heart uh, and then we I worked with the pastor there, and we found a place for her to go live 
uh, away from where she came from. She could get away from this group uh, a pretty good distance away. And we checked in with her for several years, lost track of her. But the last we had heard, she changed her life, got away from that group, and had started a new life in Christ. But, you know, from that moment on, to me, Halloween was not collecting candy and trick-or-treat. I realized there was another side of it, the dark side, the shadowy side that goes on in secret, that is not publicly made known, that it is Satan's holiday, it is his holiday, it is his time that he celebrates, and there are dark things that happen. One of the reasons I don't celebrate Halloween, because I don't want to encourage uh, kids to get involved in any of that. But I, I think more than anything, it brings up the reality that Satan is real. And I want to say that to you and make you understand, you know, Satan is not this imaginary creature with little horns and long tail. Satan is real. He is a created Lucifer angel who fell, went away from God, and now is in full rebellion to God, had other angels to follow after him. Now they're referred to as demons. And it is a real spiritual world of oppression, depression, discouragement, harassment, and doing everything he can to attack God's children. And I think that you can't just ignore the reality of Satan. You know, the book of Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood enemies. That our real enemy is a spiritual enemy. He is of the spirit realm. And he has powers and principalities and rulers and wickedness in high places. He has a hierarchy. And we have to understand that it's real. And what I'm going to talk about this morning is it relates to the 23rd Psalm because last week, if you remember our message from last week, really the last few weeks, we've talked about the picture that God is painting for us in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And he starts out by telling us he's our good shepherd. And then he begins to show us that he's our provision, I shall not want. And then the next week we talked about he causes me to lie down in green pastures. He brings us to a place where he can feed us and nourish us. He restores our soul. He encourages us. And then last week we talked about how we don't have to fear. That no matter what valley we go through, that we don't have to fear that he is with us no matter what. He always is with us. And then the picture that we see, the next verse in verse 5, it's really an amazing verse if you think about it. So let's go through the 23rd Psalm, just six verses. We've done it each week. Let's look at it again. Let's read it out loud. We've done this week each week. So if you would, read it out loud with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 5. You prepare a table for me. In the presence of my enemies. Now, what kind of amazing picture is that? Think about it. What would cause you or what would God want to say to us by giving us a picture of us having a table, a feast in the presence of our enemies? It's interesting because you do a little bit of history with that verse and you find out there was a custom that And the, this actually started out with the Greeks and then the Romans and several of the other civilizations did this. After they fought a major battle, one way that they humiliated their enemies is that they would have a feast, sometimes right on the battlefield. And they would tie up the general and, and all the kings if they lived through the battle. And they would tie them up near and they would eat a feast in the presence of their enemies. And the statement that was being made was that we have had such complete victory over you. We have no fear. In fact, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a feast. We're going to enjoy a meal in front of you. As one last humiliation to show you how great the victory was over you. And of course, then they would sometimes have a parade where they would take the same people that they had tied up and they caused them in chains tied up or chained up. Then they would walk in front of the victors and they would then have a triumph, a victory parade going all the way back to their city. And here, God has shown us He's our shepherd, our good shepherd. And He's given us a picture of what an amazing, complete victory we have over our enemies. And it's all been done because of the Lord's victory at the cross. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, we can have that kind of victory over the enemy. He's already won the victory. And we can literally be in the presence of our enemy. Satan can be right there. And we don't have to fear him. Why? Because of the cross and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood has paid that kind of victory. It paints a picture of absolute and complete power and authority of what Jesus did over the enemy. And it's amazing that so many people, Christians, live in fear of the enemy. And we shouldn't. And he shows us this right here. We have no reason to fear the enemy. And what we want to do, we want to remind ourselves. How did this kind of victory come? And, and, you know, we sang a lot of songs this morning on purpose about the blood of Jesus. The power of the blood of Jesus. 
You know, it's one thing to sing a song about the power of the blood of Jesus. And it's another one to say, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. But, you know, it also helps us if we understand why. You know, if you say to a friend that's lost and they don't know the Lord and they don't go to church and they don't know anything about the Bible, and you say, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, what if they look at you and say, why? What is there about the blood of Jesus that is special? Why should I believe that the blood of Jesus can save me? You know, you need to have an answer for that. You realize that? We deserve to be able to speak an answer to those who would question us of the hope that is within us. So today, that's what we want to do. What is there about the power of the blood of Jesus? The very first thing we have to establish, and that is that there is atonement in the blood. Cleansing, atonement, forgiveness, remission. The blood of Jesus has atonement. Look, if you would, established all the way back in Leviticus chapter 17. Look at this, if you would, verse 11, powerful verse. It establishes a principle. He said, for the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. So if life is in the blood, take put that verse right back if you would. If life is in the blood, then it would, if that end of that would read, it is the blood or it is the life given exchange for a life. Life for life. Life is in the blood. And when you give that blood, you exchange it for life. Why do we need to exchange it for life? Because the wages of sin is death. And when you sin, you receive the penalty of death. So therefore, we are under the condemnation and the penalty of death. We need life. We need remission of sin. We need atonement for that sin. And only the blood gives purification, atonement, remission for the sin. There is forgiveness only in blood. It's kind of interesting because you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God actually established this principle. Adam and Eve sinned. And then what did they do? They tried to cover themselves. They, they got fig leaves and covered themselves. They were ashamed. You see, whether people want to admit it or not, sin causes shame. It's true. It has always caused shame. And that shame causes you to feel uncovered. And so you want to cover yourself. And so that's what they did. They got fig leaves. And, and, and in a sense, they, they felt like they needed to cover themselves. They were trying to cover their shame, but it didn't work. And that's why I refer to religion as like a fig leaf religion. It's always the attempt to cover ourselves by self-effort and self-works. Something we feel like we need to do to somehow cover our shame 
of sin. I just want you to know there is nothing in fig leaf religion that saves you. Only the blood gives forgiveness of sin. There is atonement only in the blood. And you see, this is a payment, a requirement God established that only through the shedding of blood is there remission of sin. And no matter what I think about it, no matter what you think about it, it doesn't change it. It still is a requirement. Now, what's interesting is that people get uncomfortable talking about the blood. It's interesting. And so religion begins to change when people get uncomfortable talking about the blood. They want to change everything to take out the blood. They want to take out the cross. They want to take out the blood. Why? Because that's uncomfortable. Let's don't talk about that. Because the blood reminds us that we are sinners, that we are in need of atonement, that we need covering. And so since people don't want to be reminded that they're sinners, so let's just take out the blood, let's take out the cross, and that way we can just have a nice, wonderful religion of good works and being good and doing good, and we'll all feel good, and we're all going to go to heaven. No, that's not the way it is. Because there's forgiveness only by the blood. It never changes. My prayer and my hope is that it is something you will never let go of. Because we're already seeing it. We're seeing church after church abandon the blood. They're walking away from the cross. I just got word just this last week how a close friend and person that I uh, trusted, uh, I was just so devastated because they walked away from that whole understanding. And they said, "It's it's just not modern enough. It's just not... You know, it just doesn't fit in with our culture today. And so the problem is when you when you walk away from that, you have to walk away from the cross. You have to walk away from heaven. You have to walk away from hell. You have to just kind of change everything. So I want to encourage you. Establish this in your heart. Atonement is the only place by the blood. By the blood. Second thing that we have to see, and that is the blood of Jesus is God's complete remission of sin. This is kind of the next step. First step, and that is there's only the blood provides atonement or remission. Now we look at the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And you can't get a better two passages than Hebrews chapter 9. I want you to look at this. I'm going to read two passages. Uh, and both in Hebrews chapter 9, let's, let's look at verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands. It is not part of this created world. Watch this. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place. How many times? Once for all time and secured our redemption forever. And just a little bit later in the same uh, chapter, verse 24. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. This is Jesus now. 
He did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. Watch 26. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he emphasizes one time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Jesus, just see the picture here. It was necessary for blood to be shed. But it had to be blood that was incorruptible. It had to be blood that had no sin. It had to be blood that would live forever. You see, when our blood is shed, it dies after a ways, after a time. If blood gets out of our body, it dies. But it tells us that the blood of Jesus was incorruptible, has no sin. So therefore, even today, the blood of Jesus lives and it declares mercy, mercy, mercy. And Jesus took his own blood that he shed while he was alive here at the cross. He took his blood in heaven, not in a temple made by man, but in heaven. He entered into the Holy of Holies and placed his blood on that mercy seat in heaven. And that blood ever lives to declare you are free from sin. Wow. That's the reason there's power in the blood of Jesus. It lives forever. Remember when Cain killed Abel? Remember that? Remember what God said when he questioned him? He said, the blood of your brother cries out. It cries out. Interesting. I believe the blood of Jesus speaks today. It speaks mercy to Brother Freddie. When the enemy comes in to accuse Brother Derek, the blood of Jesus says, no, he's washed and cleansed by the blood. Mercy. And to you, your family, your home, when the enemy accuses the blood declares free, set free. By my mercy, the blood cries out, mercy. No wonder there is power, amazing power. Only the blood of Jesus is incorruptible because only the blood of Jesus was sinless. So one other thing, a couple other things we need to see about this, and that is... And I think this is important. Satan and his demons fear the blood of Jesus. They do not fear you. There's nothing about them, nothing about you or me that makes the demons tremble. But there is something powerful about the blood of Jesus. Look, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2. 
verse 14 and 15, it says this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way he could set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. He broke the power of the enemy. He broke the power of death. No wonder the demons in hell tremble at the name and the blood of Jesus. They have been broken and defeated. I want you to see the defeat. It's an amazing defeat that took place. Not only probably was there a feast, but here we have described how Jesus himself triumphed over all the powers of hell. Look, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at the New Living, and I want to show you another verse in the message Verse 13 says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. The picture there, when he was nailed to the cross, your sins were nailed to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. He took all their weapons away. He took their swords and their weapons. He took all their authority and everything they had. He took them away. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. Look at the verse 15. It's kind of expanded in in the Message Bible. I love this translation for this verse. It says, When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, You were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. Slate white clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all of the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross. And he marched them naked through the street. I like it. I like it. Satan only had the authority that had been given to him. And because Adam sinned, he gained the authority because of Adam's sin. But in Jesus, in Jesus, Jesus broke. The power of the enemy. No wonder. When people begin to speak the name of Jesus and talk about the blood of Jesus, no wonder the demons begin to back up. They remember that public shaming. They remember that time at the cross when their power was broken. They remember that Not only Satan, but all of the demons were subject to the power of the name of Jesus. Because the name of Jesus reminds them of the blood of Jesus. And they have no defense. We sang the song this morning. It's from Revelation chapter 12. It says, they overcame him, the enemy, by the what? By the blood of the Lamb and the Word of our testimony. What is the word of our testimony? That we are saved by the blood. Our testimony is not how great we are, how smart we are, 
how wonderful we are. Our testimony is about the blood. Our testimony is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he did it all. The demons fear the blood. Never forget that. And today, we take that verse 5. He prepares a table for me. And the presence of my enemies. Why? Why can we be so confident that we could eat a meal in the presence of our enemies? Because our enemy has been defeated by the blood. You know, I believe that we can protect our homes from evil. We can protect our homes from evil. It's kind of interesting. When the children of Israel finally stopped wandering for 40 years, they finally crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land. And God said something to him. He said, listen, he said, when you go through there, have 12 of your big guys. And when you get right to the middle of the Jordan River, once you reach down and get 12 smooth stones. Probably every other stone in that whole area was rough, you know, like it would be in a desert. But if it's in the middle of a river, the water and the time has smoothed those stones off. He said, take 12 smooth stones. And he said, when you get to the other side, build an altar. And then that altar will be a forever testimony. It'll be a symbol. It'll be a picture. It's amazing how God loves pictures and symbols. He said, every time people would walk by that and see that altar, they would remember my great power and what I did for you that day. There's another picture and symbol that we see. It's in Exodus chapter 12. It says this in Exodus 12. This is talking about the Passover. On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt. I'll strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign. Again, God loves signs and pictures. Marking the houses where you're staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Again, a picture. Now that day, it was God himself going through and taking the firstborn. And yet, whatever it was, a death angel or whatever God was using to take the firstborn, whenever they would see the blood... It was a sign. They belong to me. Pass. Go somewhere else. And if you walked in obedience and you put the blood on the doorpost, you were spared. The firstborn didn't die. But if you didn't walk in obedience or you're outside of the door, the firstborn died. An amazing picture for us today. Because just like God uses pictures in the Bible... And even use them in the Old Testament. I think pictures and signs, symbols are still important. They remind us of something. And what I would like to encourage you to do, and that is to realize that 
you need to make a stand against the enemy to declare that your home, your family is covered by the blood of Jesus and that you need the devil to know no trespassing. Say that with me. No trespassing. And that when the enemy would come to harass you or attack you, the enemy would know, I can't go there. So I'd like to just give you some little picture of this. We've done this before, but I want to encourage you to do it again. And that is, I have a door over here. And I'd like to encourage each one of you to do this. Hallelujah. Where, where's my oil? I had my air. Here it is. So just get some olive oil. The Bible talks about olive oil uh, being used in the Bible. So I want to encourage all of you to do this. I'm going to encourage you to simply uh, get some olive oil and just anoint your doors. I just, when I do it, I just put a little, you know, put a little cross, anoint that, and then little thing like this just says the blood of Jesus has a picture of a cross the blood of Jesus and we have a thousand of those they're at each of the doors side doors and front doors and I'd just like to encourage you now don't venerate and worship the little signs (laughs) okay they're just a sign They're just a symbol. But the symbol is a powerful thing because it reminds the enemy this home has been dedicated to God. Now, if if you if you'll notice, I'm gonna have to take this down to, to look at it, but on the back of this little thing, it has this. So if you don't know what in the world to say, just read this. Let me read to you. It says, Father, I pray that you would protect my home and my family from all evil. I declare that Jesus is the Lord over my home and that we are protected by the blood of Jesus. According to Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11, that says, Therefore God has elevated him to the place of highest honor and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Because of this authority, the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus protects this home. So I encourage you. We, we, we still have ones that we gave out over 15 years ago still sitting above my home as my main door that walks in there. I still have it there, the blood of Jesus. And all you're simply saying, you're putting the devil on notice. Devil, no trespassing. And I want to tell you, I have never seen the enemy at work as strongly as he's at work right now. I see him attacking homes and families and marriages. I see him attacking in, in physical problems and physical attacks and spiritual and depression and discouragement. I mean, the enemy is only of assault. And then to add to that, this is the time around Halloween. It's even worse, it seems like. So I just want to encourage you. You can take authority over the enemy. And just this little symbol, sign, It's just a reminder to you, my home 
my family, we belong to Jesus. Does it mean your life is going to be perfect and there are not going to be any problems? No. But it tells you that the blood of Jesus is over all the power of the enemy. And that whatever does happen, he will be with you and he will help you. And he will be with you to the end. The other thing I want to say to you, and I think this is important, and that is we must know the Lord in order to be able to stand against the enemy. And I just, I just encourage every one of you to do this, to anoint your doors, declare some sort of prayer, either one written on there or some other, you know, you can say whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. But just understand that in order to do that, you need to have a relationship with Jesus. Everybody with me on that? You, you understand what I'm saying when I say that? There's an example in the book of Acts, chapter 19. It says there were seven brothers, and, and they were going around casting out demons in the name of Jesus, whom Paul knew. They didn't know Jesus, but they thought they would kind of be real spiritual sounding and start casting out these demons because they thought that was pretty cool. Well, they got one guy, and they started doing that, and the demon in that one man whooped up and beat those seven guys and stripped them naked and ran them out of town. You say, how did one guy do that to seven guys? I want to tell you, the devil's real. But his problem was that he didn't know the Lord. It's kind of interesting. The demons spoke out of this man. He said, I know Paul and I know Jesus. But I don't know you. I don't even know your daddy. He didn't say that, not really. (laughs) He didn't know the Lord. And so I want to say to you, you need to know the Lord. You need to have a relationship with Jesus. How does that happen? Romans 10. Look at this, verse 9. Romans 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what happens? You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly, you hear that, openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Verse 12, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. We all have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call upon Him. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no respecter of person. We all come to the cross alike, rich and poor. Every color, every race, every denomination, every everything. We all come to the cross. I like it. There's an old Baptist hymn that says, It's level at the cross of Jesus. We all come the same way. We all come to the same place in Jesus. And when you do that, you can have a relationship. It's not fig leaf religion of good works. It is the blood of Jesus. You believe. But beyond believing... Notice it says openly, openly declaring 
And that simply says you're not ashamed. You know, really, God doesn't need any more secret agents. He's got plenty of those. He needs some bold witnesses who are willing to stand up and say, Yes, I'm a follower. I'm a disciple. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the blood of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will declare, He is my Lord. You have to be willing to openly declare. So I want to encourage you today. My encouragement is twofold. Number one, I'd like to pray for, and I believe there are people here today that you don't know the Lord. You need to make Him the Lord of your life. You need to openly declare Him as Lord of your life. You need to do exactly what Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 tell us. You believe with your heart and then you openly confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm going to ask you to bow your head right now. If you're here in this room And you don't know the Lord. And you don't have that relationship with Him. You've never publicly confessed Him as the Lord of your life. But today would be that day that you would be willing to openly declare Jesus as Lord. And you know, you know that you know that you know that you need Jesus to come into your heart and change you. Maybe you tried being religious and it hasn't worked. Maybe you tried being a good heathen and that hadn't worked. Nothing works except the blood. Because there's atonement only in the blood. So today, if you would be willing, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to just ask you to slip up your hand. Anybody. Anyone. You would be willing to be born again. You want to give your heart to Jesus. Yes. A couple of hands. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody in the upper area? Anybody? Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody else? Okay. A couple of people. All right. All right. Yes. Thank you, sir. This is what we're going to do. We've had some people raise their hands. I believe maybe there's some others that that want to make that decision. So I'm going to ask, first of all, everybody to stand to the feet. Our worship team is going to sing, break every chain. And if you want to have every chain broken in your life and you want to have that relationship, I'm going to ask the ones that raise your hand, I'm going to just ask you to slip out of your seat, come right down here. I want to pray with you. Anyone else, you didn't raise your hand, this is the time. Just get out of your seat. Come on down. Let's pray. Let's get this thing settled. If you need Jesus Christ, yes, come on. Thank you. Come on. Yes. There is power in the name of Jesus. Thank you, sweetheart. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Yeah, come on. Anybody else? Break every chain. Break every chain. This is Break time. Come on, young people, children, any no, just stay right down here. Break What's every sir? chain. Break every chain. Break every Anybody else? Chain. Y'all come over this way. There is power.
pray out loud we're just going to ask Jesus we're going to do just exactly what it said there in Romans chapter 10 we, Romans chapter 10 we believe in our heart and we want to confess with our mouth okay y'all going to pray out loud with me ready and y'all want to join with me you can do that pray it out loud Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus I give my heart to you Lord I believe that I'm a sinner I believe in the blood of Jesus as the forgiveness of my sin. Come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Make me a brand new person. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I am born again by the Spirit of God. I will never be the same. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.